Hi. Every in the whole room, like all these thumbs went up. Yay. Thanks for the thanks for the visual cue. Good morning. I am so glad to be with you this morning. Um, a lot of faces I love are in the room. My mom is here. My daughter is here. My sisters are here. <laughs> My sisters and I were on a um, text thread this week, and um, one of them was like, it's been a real long minute since we've been in a church. Would we wear, like, um, a necklace of garlic? I'm like, well, that's for vampires. <laughs> so... I don't know if there will be any vampires at church. We do accept all people, so it's possible. It's a real mixed bag here on a Sunday morning. Um, but I'm, I felt grateful this week to have sat with this particular part of the lectionary and um, that this was the, the bit of the story that I got to wrestle with this week. And so I'm going to have Nadia and Lena come on up, please, and if you will read today's passage. In this um, version, we're going to read it in The Voice, which is a translation, a newer translation that I have just found profoundly refreshing to read old familiar stories in. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Hello. Nearby, in the fields outside of Bethlehem, a group of shepherds were guarding their flock from predators in the darkness of night. Suddenly, a messenger of the Lord stood in front of them, and the darkness was replaced by a glorious light, the shining light of God's glory. They were terrified. Don't be afraid. Listen. I bring good news, news of great joy news that will affect all people everywhere. Today, in the city of David, a liberator has been born for you. He is the promised anointed one, the supreme authority. You will know you have found him when you see a baby wrapped in a blanket, lying in a feeding trough. At that moment, the first heavenly messenger was joined by thousands of other messengers, a vast heavenly choir. They praised God. To the highest heights of the universe, glory to God, and on earth, peace among all people who bring pleasure to God. As soon as the heavenly messengers disappeared into heaven, the shepherds were buzzing with conversation. Let's rush down to Bethlehem right now. Let's see what's happening. Let's experience what the Lord has told us about. So they ran into town, and eventually they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the feeding trough. After they saw the baby, they spread the story of what they had experienced and what had been said to them about this child. Everyone who heard their story couldn't stop thinking about its meaning. Mary, too, pondered all of these events, treasuring each memory in her heart. The shepherds returned to their flocks, praising God for all they had seen and heard, and they glorified God for the way the experience had unfolded just as the heavenly messenger had predicted. Perfect. Thank you, girls. 
Turns out I was really glad to spend this week with the shepherds. Um, I've read this story, I don't even know how many hundreds of times, and I've done a lot of preaching out of it too. Um, and so it's, it's interesting because year after year, there's always something different that I'm really identifying with that particular season of life, or maybe on just that particular reading. Um, generally, it's Mary. Um, but after this week, I was really grateful to have spent the last few days with the shepherds. Um, this lectionary text is high drama. It really is. This is my specialty, by the way. Um, <laughs> nobody ever accused me um, of being anything self of melodramatic. Um, and so, so far, um, if you know the story, if you've been here, if you've been reading along, up until this point, the story has centered primarily on the main characters, um, and their particular journey. So that's what we've seen. Who's been called out? Who are, who are the, lead, the lead roles, right, in this drama? And so God's already made a lot of choices here, choices that matter immensely to the story. Um, what family, right? What parents? Um, where? When? How? Like, in what context? All of that has been laid already. And so this little section that we have this morning centers on his next choice. And so now we are going outside of the lead cast. And what we have today to work around is God's decision, who do I tell first and how? So there is something potentially really special for you and I inside this little segment. Um, because this is the invitational part of the story. Right? This is for the rest of us. It's like God sat down to make his guest list for this pretty um, incredible celebration and thought, who are my guests of honor? Who gets to know first? So to me, this choice tells the story as much as any of it does. It wasn't just, well, who's nearby? Like, what's convenient, right? Who's close? That, it really wasn't that. What's happening here is that God is crafting a narrative. And it is in order to explain himself and his son to the rest of us. So at this point, absolutely everything matters. There isn't a careless detail in here. And certainly not today. So here's where we start. He chose shepherds. All right. Probably most of us, if you've been around the story at all, have heard in some, in some way that shepherds have had kind of a lowly status, right? Maybe that was sort of the perfunctory thing that we do when we introduce the shepherds for their one little moment um, in the narrative. You know, they were lowly and God picked them, yay. Um, it was actually worse than that. It was worse than just having a menial job. Um, shepherding is weird for us to sort of interpret as modern day people because um, we kind of have a mixed bag of it in scripture. Like shepherding was considered noble early on in our text, in the, in the patriarch days, in the days of the patriarchs when they were all nomads, they were all shepherds. They were nomadic. And so it had this honor built into it. We see words built around shepherding um, that 
explained to us that this had um, a nobility to it. But then, over the course of some 400 years, um, not only did the profession shift as God's people settled in Palestine, right? They're no longer nomads. But under sort of Egyptian influence, um, they adopted this very prejudiced attitude towards shepherding from the Egyptians um, as definitely worse than menial and second class. So by the time we get to this century in this story, shepherds had 100% forfeited their social status and they were pretty cruelly stereotyped. And there's a lot of evidence for this. The Mishnah, which is a religious text from the time, called shepherds incompetent. And one passage said, <coughs> excuse me, that's so gross, and I'm so sorry. <clears throat> no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd that has fallen into a pit. And another passage said, to buy wool, milk, or a kid from a shepherd is forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property. So in addition to that, by law, they were considered unclean, and they were obviously presumed to be immoral, um, and so they could not worship in the temple. They couldn't even go in. They were also deprived of their civil rights in their community. They could not fill any judicial offices, and they couldn't even be admitted in court as witnesses. So they were incredibly disenfranchised. So I'm going to sum up the perception of shepherds, like with sort of the labels that they walked around with on a daily basis. Unimportant, second class, incompetent, disposable, untrustworthy, presumed criminal, immoral, not holy enough, and unworthy of inclusion. In fact, even inside our own sacred text, only Luke mentions them at all in Jesus' birth story. So, this is my first time to preach um, since before the pandemic, and since before my divorce. Um, not too long ago, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you know this, but Trey and Jenny regularly host a bunch of young adults from this church. We call them behind their backs, the youngs. And, um, Jenny said, do you want to come over and have dinner with the Youngs? And I said, sure. And so I was over at their house a few weeks ago, and one of the Youngs said, Jen, we're just sitting on the porch. Can I ask you a question? Sure. And, and he was like, I'm not, I, I hope this doesn't like offend you or hurt your feelings. Well, that is a loaded on ramp, okay? <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be fun, whatever this is. Um, and he said, 
why don't you come to church anymore? Oh, man. Sometimes teachers can cry. It's fine. Everybody relax. <laughs> Trey just mentioned it, but we started this church in 2007. And um, like from scratch. Um, and just built it as a married couple. And some of you, hell, some of you have really been around for almost that long. And so, So no longer being married to the person that I started this church with turned out to be really complicated for me. And for a while I had a stay of execution because it was the pandemic. And we were, I think, the last remaining American church to come back and gather. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's about right. (laughs) Um, So I was spared the worry and the fear and the just pure disorientation of being here without the person that I started this church with and divorced in like shocking circumstances and I didn't know how to handle my own feelings, much less yours. And you lost someone too. Um, it's so weird because my dad went to seminary when I was three years old. And then I got married when I was 19. And so until two and a half years ago, I have been a pastor's daughter and a pastor's wife all but five years of my whole life. Right? That's just all I've ever known. I've just always been an insider. And I did everything that insiders do. Everything that insiders are supposed to do. Um, I was exactly who you think I was growing up as the youth group girl. Oh my. Oh bless. Oh gosh. (laughs) Christian t-shirts? Check. Um... I went to a little Baptist college, and it was something like going to four years of youth camp, right? (laughs) And I did the rules. I did the the purity rules, right? I did all the things where um, basically, let me just sum it up for you if you didn't grow up like in conservative Christian subculture. Basically, it's just a long list of things. Just don't do any of these, and that's now you know. Okay, so that's, that's what it was, and I said, okay, fine. Um, I'm a natural-born rule follower, so that worked for me. Like, how can I be the best at doing none of these things? Um, and so I did. I did all it. I did the rules, and the rules say this is what it means to, like, have an abundant life. This is what it's going to give you. On the other side of all this, you're going to have an abundant life. You're going to have an abundant marriage. 
You're going to have an abundant family. That's how this works. It's transactional. You do your part, and this is how it's going to work out. Um, and so I was kind of what I think people might have called a fancy Christian. I think that's fair. Like did some fancy things and got like some fancy prizes. And I prayed at a presidential inauguration. Like that's kind of fancy. Um, And so, fancy insiders with a double immunity, mind you, for marrying a pastor and triple immunity, frankly, for starting a church with him are not supposed to have my story. I did all those prescribed things and they didn't work. And in a lot of cases, they made it worse. I followed all those things at the expense of a lot of other good things. My own young adulthood. um, My own capacity to just grow up as a person, um, for a while at the expense of my own gifts, because girl. Um, And so I didn't know how to be here. I didn't know how to be in this room. And every time I came in this room, I felt like I was in a haunted house. And then I felt anxious because We talked our very best friends into moving to the city and starting this church with us. And then we talked Jason into coming. And I did not want to hurt their feelings or make them feel like they were doing something wrong because they weren't. And there's nothing wrong with this place. Jason asked me this week, how can I help you this week feel comfortable? And I'm like, you always do that. You can't. This is an inside job. So right now I have a real disruption around my sense of place, structure, like institution, this standardized experience that I no longer share. And so in my better moments, and this is just hard to say, I know you're not supposed to say this when you're preaching, but in my better moments, I think church is hard because this is the one we started together. But in my worst moments, I'm like, what even is all this? My daughter Sydney and I were talking last week about church and feeling complicated around church in general. And I'm like, but you know, you know my deal. She's like, Mom, yes, we know your deal. It's the Jesus thing. I'm like, it is. It's the Jesus thing, man. I can't kick it. When everything else just feels so wobbly, that peace, it just keeps feeling so true. Which brings us back to this story. Isn't this a fun morning? Glad you came. <laughs> As a teacher who has taught the Bible for a lot of years, I am not a huge fan 
of always making every story in the Bible about us somehow. Because, like, sometimes the story of Moses is just about Moses, Linda. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's just how it is sometimes. But studying this story for the millionth time this week, I'm sorry to tell you that I did notice two things that stood out fresh to me this year, and maybe it's just because I have different eyes to see them now. Um, here's the first thing. The shepherds literally couldn't go to church. Um, they weren't welcome in the temple. They couldn't even go in the doors. Um, they'd never even been inside. Um, so let me remind you real quick of the labels that were over their heads. This is, I don't know, maybe this is asking too much, but I'm going to go through these labels one more time. And if you have just ever been assigned one of these labels, if you have ever felt this way, if this has ever been told to you, um, uh, particularly in a religious setting, but period, just, you can just give a little hands up when I say it. I'll do the same. Unimportant. Second class. Incompetent. Disposable. Untrustworthy. Presumed criminal. Immoral. I've been called a heretic so many times. I just need to put it in my bio. <laughs> Not holy enough. Unworthy of inclusion. Right. Right. And so worth noting is that God didn't choose the structure to tell us about Jesus, right? It wasn't um, at the place where all the God stuff was standardized and formalized and executed inside a hierarchy and following all the protocols, right? And he bypassed the fancy religious people altogether. God took the announcement to the fields at night under the stars and delivered it to the people the temple called unworthy and disposable. And this matters. This matters. God was explaining something important for every future generation to hear. Because just as surely as the actual Savior was born in something like a manger, the first esteemed guests were considered trash by everyone but God. So from the very beginning, literally from the jump, this wasn't a story contained at all in structures and governed by hierarchies. It belonged under the stars with those who are pure enough to see it. So guess what? If you raised your hand, identifying with any of those labels at all, congratulations. You are a sacred first-round draft pick. 
you are cherished in the heavens and let the story say so. The more pain you have endured, the more rejection, the more disparagement, the more disempowerment, the closer you are to God's very own heart. You are invited first to see the baby because you can. So you're here Something about today's experience brought you inside the church, and I'm so delighted that you are here. But if you are struggling in any way with the church, with the structures, hold this story dear, because it began in the fields, not the temple. The shepherds are every bit as beloved to Jesus as the priests and their night watch, was church. This is the second thing I noticed this week that was fresh to me and new. Everything about the birth story was so humble, right? We talk about this all the time. It's in all of our songs. Mary and Joseph, like the Nazareth origins, this very like quiet, unattended birth in some kind of barn or something. All of it was humble, humble, humble. Low-key, like very quiet, not fancy, understated. Like on purpose, clearly making a point um, about what Jesus' whole deal was going to be, right? With one exception. With the shepherds, and only the shepherds, God went off. I mean, the only super over-the-top, dramatic, grand gesture was in front of them. I mean, forget like the donkey in the barn, okay? We have like, we have talking angels. Um, we have a night sky like lit all up. We have thousands of other angels like singing like a whole concert and then like it kind of says boom then they just disappeared up into the heavens like this is outrageous like this is high high drama I think this kind of like display was probably what the fancy people would have expected um, to announce this savior that they'd been waiting for for centuries right like, this is really the only part of the story that actually matched how everyone thought Jesus was going to come. Like fireworks over the temple, right? But in the whole story, the only ones who experienced such an over-the-top display of grandeur were those shepherds. That's it. Everyone else got the humble stuff. And I just thought about that juxtaposition this week. That God did the very most for the very least who were shunned by the very fancy and unwelcomed at the very place he supposedly resided. This is just so special to me this year. 
Jesus relocated privilege and honor and value. He moved it to the open fields and he handed it to common people. He elevated disenfranchised folks and by God, if they weren't welcome in church, then he would bring church to them. And this year, I just am feeling it in my heart like It isn't the structures, or the attendance, or the adherence to the rituals that attracts God's presence. It never was. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And if that is in a church pew, then great, because he's here. But if it's on our porches, or if it's on a trail somewhere, or if it's at the edge of a lake, or if it is face down on our bathroom floors, then that's where he is. And he's coming with angels. I couldn't come to church, and I still have a hard time, but God has brought it to me. Most of my angels are in this room. So do not be afraid. He brings good news of great joy that affects all people, everywhere. His name is Jesus. He's better than we could have hoped. So, God will meet us in our lonely fields. That's where he does his best work, apparently. Church is where God says it is. And this story tells us that he will bring it to our doorstep if he needs to. And he will sing over us a new song. For unto all of us was born that day in the city of David, our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He came for us like he promised.